I have often said in certain situations that biblical counseling is is not the best way for sanctification to happen. And I mean that honestly, and I want to be transparent about that. I'm not, I'm not throwing biblical counseling under the bus, no, not at all. I had a meeting this morning with Daniel Berger. We're strategizing, planning a conference in Sarasota, Florida, starting January the 17th. By the way, if you want some information about that, I was sharing with Daniel what what I just said about biblical counseling, but if you want some information about that conference that Daniel and I are doing, then uh, please email us. You can also subscribe, which is what I would recommend, that you subscribe to our newsletter, and you will get the information that you need. We put the information in there, and you can be updated on all the current events with our ministry, and so you can do that. But we will be doing a conference January 17th, 18th, in Sarasota, Florida, and you're welcome to attend. There's information that you would need to have in order to attend that conference, and that would be fantastic if if you would do that. But as I was meeting with Daniel when we were working through the details of the conference, I, I said in a tongue-in-cheek way, I don't believe in biblical counseling. And then I added this parenthetical, not as, as it is typically understood and applied. And, and I'll explain more about that, but it is imp- later, but it is important that you understand that if you put all your hope in biblical counseling as if I can just get them to biblical counseling, you may have misplaced your hope and you can become a despairing soul because biblical counseling is not the end all to how counseling or to how transformation takes place. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for your daily drive. The title of this article and the accompanying podcast is The Truth About Repentance Is You Can't Make It Happen. The truth about repentance is you cannot make it happen. Repentance is a gift given, which implies a need to think, rethink, and strategize, possibly re-strategize carefully about how we do soul care. And so I want to address this idea of repentance in this podcast. Thank you again for joining me. And if you want to read this podcast, I would encourage you to do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this title, The Truth About Repentance is You Can't Make It Happen. This is a big deal. And I would encourage you to read the article. And what I've done here, I wanted to fill this article with all kinds of information. In fact, I have. I have several articles embedded in this one. I have two videos for you to watch. I have a poster that will help you walk through the repentance process. And so there is a lot of information here, including the actual article and the podcast that you're listening to now. My goal is to provide these resources for you so that some of you will pull this aside and that you would spend time meditating, reflecting over what I'm providing here, and that you would study these resources because you care about people. And some of you overcare. You care in such a way that you're not at peace. You're not at peace about that person who is not changing. You are a a mother of a child. You are a father of a child. You are a pastor of a congregant. Uh, You're a small group leader. You have somebody in your group that is unchanging. You're an employer, employee. It doesn't matter what the context is, but there's somebody in your life that you would like to see change. Now, all of you have that person in your life, but some of you 
you're not resting in, in God's grace and in his sovereignty as you think about that person. And that's why I'm doing this podcast, because you need to be released from the anxiety and the worry and the frustration and the anger and the disappointment that can accompany a person who is not changing. And you need to have a more comprehensive understanding of how change happens. And so I've got a lot of resources here, and it's on you. If you're listening to this podcast, then you have access to these resources because they are free. We have people who support us financially, and because of that, we're able to pour these resources out for you so that you can spend as much time as you want uh, studying them, reading, listening, and, and watching. And so let me go back to what I said earlier, and I, I said in a tongue-in-cheek way that biblical counseling, that I don't like biblical counseling, and then I had a parenthetical there as it is typically understood and applied. Now, I'm very much biblical counseling-centered, and so I do want you to hear uh, what I am saying and and don't upload what I'm not saying. I have thought about uh, writing an article, and it would probably be multiple articles in podcasts titled, Why I Don't Like Biblical Counseling, and then with the parenthetical, as it is typically understood and applied, because I, I probably have there's, I probably have 50 flaws uh, that are inside biblical counseling, and it's, it's important for us who do biblical counseling to talk about these things, and it's why I do. Uh, I'm, I've never been a person to just take everything as it is without giving some kind of thought to how we can do it better or some inherent problems with, with what we do. Change is always here to stay, and we should continue to run our processes and our ideas through the hermeneutical spiral, which will make us more precise. It will tighten up on what we do and help us to think more clearly and practically about what we do. To think that biblical counseling is the total answer to all of our woes is unwise, it's immature, and it's sub-biblical. Sub, not unbiblical. There is a difference. Biblical counseling is not unbiblical by any stretch of the imagination. And I would further claim that bringing the Bible to bear on our personal, relational, and situational issues is the most effective way to problem solve while helping the struggling soul. All so called biblical counselors and disciple-makers can share their success stories about what the Lord did while they were coming alongside someone. Now, I would, I would caution you to, to think, to stop at this moment and to think about that. If you say that I, I brought someone to biblical counseling, to a counseling, uh, to a counselor, and and that individual changed, transformation happened, God rained down repentance, and it was just fabulous. And biblical counseling is amazing. I want you to hear what you're not saying, what you're not understanding. That person just didn't pop up on planet earth and go to a biblical counseling session and was and transformation happened no before they ever hit the counseling office there were there's a long series of, of events and shaping influences and in individuals 
in that person's life that have watered and planted for years. You don't want to imply, and you definitely don't want to think, that the movie just started when they walked into the counseling office. That's not when the movie started. The movie has been running for about 90 minutes now. And then they step into the counseling office, and change does happen in that moment, and then that's the end of the movie. You see, counseling is always part of the process. It's never the beginning or the end. It's always a means of grace that is contextualized in a a big, long river of events that have been going on in this individual's life. So biblical counseling has a place, and it can be helpful, but it's not the beginning and the end. The counseling discipleship context is an excellent opportunity to minister to the hurting while calling the wayward to repentance. But the big question that you have to, that everybody's asking or should be asking when you bring someone to another individual for help or you're meeting that person and you want to help them. And the big question is, will God show up? One of the issues that I have with traditional biblical counseling defined as one-on-one sessions outside the local church, is that the Bible does not see these isolated, detached meetings as the best way to care for one another. Now, there are many reasons that this, this is true, but I will point to only one of them in this podcast. If a singular meeting or a season of meetings, you know, six counseling sessions, if this becomes the place where a call to repentance needs to happen, then those sessions could prove to be a poor context for progressive sanctification. In such a context, counseling presumes that God will do a work in the counselee as the counselor administers God's word to the individual. And this idea of expecting someone to change, this concept, it doesn't apply just to the counseling office. Every parent, every pastor, every friend, every husband, every wife, every employer, and any other relational construct where one person hopes to help another person change, it applies to that as well. Counseling or discipleship or a a change context is dependent on God doing the work inside a counselee, an individual, as the counselor goes to work alongside the counselee. Many parents cry out in desperation, hoping that someone will speak some sense into this child. Husbands and wives come to counseling expecting a similar outcome for their spouses. And it's not wrong for them to hope this way. And I commend anyone who cares so much about another person that they will take this kind of action. People come to us virtually every day asking for help, for change, whether they want to see themselves change or they're married to someone that they want to change or they or see change or they have a, a child that they hope transformation will take place or a friend. But virtually every day someone comes to us and they're asking the change question. And, and my point here is that if you don't have a good comprehensive understanding about how this takes place, you could put so much stock 
in coming to us or meeting a biblical counselor or seeing your pastor or whatever the event is, that you can become a despairing soul because it didn't happen when you thought it would. Now, even with this big caveat that I'm painting for you, I don't want you to ever give up. Don't stop trying. Or worse, go too far. Don't become apathetic or cynical about an unchanging person. My singular point here is that if you elevate what you want for this individual over what God may have in mind, then you can have two problems. The first problem is the unchanging person. You have someone who is not changing according to your expectations and hopes, but if you have elevated your hope too high, then you can become a despairing soul care provider. And so there's the two problems. You have this unchanging person. They have yet to change, even though you have done so much for them or provided so much for them. But because you overhoped, overtried, overcared, you now become a despairing soul care provider because transformation hasn't taken place. My point is misplaced hope endangers the soul. And that is what you want to guard against. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want to share two sentences with you. Paul gave Timothy some good wisdom, and I would encourage you to, to memorize these two sentences, at least know where the address is so that you can call upon them, and most importantly, that you understand what Paul is saying. Here are the two sentences in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. Paul said the Lord's servant's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. This is your job and my, my job. But Paul is saying that there is a cooperative effort here between you and the Lord. God has a responsibility. You have a responsibility. You are secondary cause. He is the primary cause. He is the change agent. But we are called into a relationship with God, and part of that relationship means that we have a responsibility in the change process of other people. And Paul is sharing with Timothy what some of those responsibilities are. He says you must not be quarrelsome. If you are quarrelsome and not kind, he said, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. And so if you are quarrelsome with the person that you want to see change, you are not cooperating well with the Lord in the change process. The servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Then he says, able to teach. He also says, patiently enduring evil. There's part of your cooperative effort. And then he adds, correcting his opponents with gentleness. He adds gentleness because correction without gentleness is not the kind of correction we're looking for here. Now, that's our part, your part, my part. And then the second sentence says, here's God's part, God may, perhaps, I like the way he says that, not just God may grant them repentance, but God may, perhaps, He's slowing it down so that you can think here, not just may, but may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. We can't misplace our hope. And if you put your hope in a moment or an individual or a context or a church meeting, well, you could endanger your own soul because you have a responsibility in the change process. But the second part is God may, which implies he may not grant repentance. 
and the work that you have done up to this point has not led to repentance. And so you don't want to overhope. There is hope and expectation when someone needs to change that God will provide the gift of repentance for sanctification to happen. But may I ask, what do you hope will happen with the person you would like to see change? Are you guarding your heart because you know that the Lord may perhaps have something else in mind for this person? It is not possible to know when or if or how. The Lord will intervene in anyone's life. The problem with counseling or any other singular meeting is that you can put too much hope in that interaction, expecting God to do what he will not do, at least at that time. Paul said in another place in Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Here you see this juxtaposition again of the cooperative effort between what we are supposed to do, we plant, we water. God may perhaps grant repentance, or in this verse, he may give the growth. Repentance is a timing issue. You water and plant while asking the growth giver to bring the needed change. Then you rest while you wait. If you are not experiencing internal peace, then you have your clue that your hope is morphing, or I would say has morphed, into a demand of sorts that will control you until the person changes. One of the ways that you can know if you are right on this issue, watering and planting while trusting God to give growth, is by examining what is going on inside of you as you think about this individual. If you're not experiencing internal peace, shalom is what I'm talking about, that, that, that you're disrupted inside, that, that your wall, your brick wall is broken apart and there are bricks and rocks laying out all over the ground, which is a word picture of what a lack of shalom or a lack of peace looks like. You are disrupted inside. And if you're experiencing this, then you have a clue that your hope is in the wrong place that you're not hoping correctly because it's morphed into a demand. Now, if you don't get this under control, if you don't repent of this sin, then what will happen is you will start manipulating in various ways the person that you want to see change. Usually the quickest and easiest, most natural way for us to manipulate an individual is through our anger. And so if this is what you're doing, then you need to address this. Here's something ironic for you to think about. Could it be that God has brought the unchanging person into your life to address these issues in you so that you can learn how to trust more effectively? Fortunately, there's a better way to think about the change process. And there are other contexts where counseling or discipleship can excel because a call to repentance requires more than private meetings, typically. I want to give you a short list of many counseling contexts, disciple contexts, and I want you to think about them. And, and In fact, I'm going to share 10 of them with you, 10 ways to, 10 means of grace. These are means or contexts where grace can happen in an individual. I'll give a, a 
mention the, the means of grace and then give a little short commentary to all 10 of them. But what I hope will happen is that it will expand your thinking about how the change process happens so that you're not putting all your stock, all your hope in one event, one person, one context. The Bible would give us many ways to think about this or many means of grace. Here they are. I'll read all 10 of them to you, and then I'll explain them. A time to restore, a time to care, a time to listen, a time to teach, a time to equip, a time to be a friend, a time to weep, a time to rejoice, a time to encourage, a time to persevere. I'll explain all 10 of these to you, and and I want you to think about how you implement these in your life, in your relationships, especially those for those people that you would like to see change. Number one, a time to restore. That's an obvious one from Galatians 6.1. If a person is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them. There will be a time when the person that you care about will fall. They will fall. They will face plant. They will fall on their faces. They will trip up. They will stumble. They will transgress as we all do. And when that time happens, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 will give you great insight on how to come alongside them to help them. And I would encourage you to make sure you understand this verse carefully and critically so that you can implement the insight of this verse in the person when they come to that place where they have truly fallen. There's a time to restore. Number two, there's a time to care. When they need you, be there for them especially when you're not trying to change them. You see, you can care for them. They can receive your care, feel your care, but yet it's not tied to this this desire, this strong desire that you have uh, to change them, that you just care. Knowing that somebody cares for you, that, that will position you to be able to help them when they really want your help as far as the thing that you would like to see them change. And so there's a time to restore when they truly fall and need your restorative care, and then there's a time to care. They don't need you for the thing that you want them to need you for, but you care for them, and so you are there to bring your care. Number three, there's a time to listen. Being quick to listen while not interjecting your opinions can set you up to speak at a later time. Now, you'll have to exercise self-control at this point because if you have a listening ear, isn't it a temptation to insert these other things from left field so you make sure you're taking advantage of the moment, you're taking too much advantage of the moment? If they are sharing with you, maybe wisdom would say, just listen. Just listen to them. And then number four, a time to teach. Maybe there will be a time later on, maybe at this point, but there's a time to listen and then there's a time to teach. Now, monologue speaking to where you are just monologuing, you're just teaching, that's not the best way to instruct. And so as you are teaching, you want to make sure that you're teaching within a dialogue context. You want them interacting with you. Sometimes we can become very teachy and monologue when we shouldn't be that way. Jesus used dialogue, the dialogue method, more than monologue. He didn't teach monologue hardly at all. The Sermon on the Mount 
we have that. But if you look at most of his interactions, you'll see that he was a dialoguer, not a monologuer. And so when there is a time to teach, to speak up, uh, try to make it dialogue as much as you can. Number five, a time to equip. There will be times when they will ask you a specific question. Seize that moment again while guarding your heart against manipulating the moment. If they give an inch, here's my point, don't take a mile. There's a time to equip, and, and you take what they give you. You seize the moment, but don't manipulate the moment. Number six, there's a time to be a friend. It's a wise thing to do things that, that you don't lace with your desire to change them. A time to be a friend. Go shopping with them. I'm probably talking to you ladies here for the most part. Or watch a game with them. I'm probably talking to you guys here. Keep it light and comfortable. Build your relational bridge. There's a time to be a friend. Here's the first six things that I mentioned. A time to restore, a time to care, a time to listen, a time to teach, a time to equip, a time to be a friend. Number seven, a time to weep. They will experience disappointments, as we all do. It's a given. Suffering is a promise from God. There are so many scriptures that communicate you will suffer. Therefore, there'll be a time to weep. Be ready to cry, which you can do if you have compassion for them. A time to weep will, will uh, be an excellent moment uh, for you to assess your own heart toward them because if you don't have compassion for them, you will not weep genuinely, authentically. But if, you're, if your heart has hardened, you're in the wrong condition to help them in the first place. And so this means of grace, I'm giving you 10 means of grace that you can implement with the person that you care for. And when the time comes to weep and you can't weep, uh, then you're in a bad spot and you're not qualified, honestly. You're not qualified to help them the way that you could help them if you were more sympathetic, more compassionate toward them. And when the time of weeping comes, be ready to cry. Number eight, a time to rejoice. Sometimes folks struggle with rejoicing in the victories of the stubborn, unchanging person. If there's a time to rejoice with them, be glad. Be glad, especially when the Lord's common grace rains down on them. And if they experience God's common grace, don't sit in the corner and sulk. There's a time to rejoice with them. These are one of the relational bridges that you can build with them. Number nine, a time to encourage. Did you know that a kind word can turn away wrath? Of course you know that. Christ-centered kindness can also motivate a person to change. You remember what Paul said in Romans 2, 4, Don't presume on the riches of his kindness, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. There's a time to encourage. Are you an encourager of the unchanging person? And then number 10, a time to persevere. Maybe the hardest, the hardest part will be your perseverance when they don't change according to your timetable and your expectations. Perhaps they won't transform at all. That is a possibility. It is not outside the Lord's interest to use that person to help you change. 
Imagine the possible gospel irony going on here that God is using this person to change you. What I've just given you, these, this list of 10 means of grace you cannot accomplish in a counseling office, but you can accomplish these things with a relationship with an individual that you are coming alongside of. There's a time to restore, a time to care, a time to listen, a time to teach, a time to equip, a time to be a friend, a time to weep, a time to rejoice, a time to encourage, and a time to persevere. The title of the podcast is The Truth About Repentance is You Can't Make It Happen. But if you cooperate with the Lord and take advantage of these means of grace to come alongside a person, who knows, maybe, perhaps, the Lord will grant repentance. I trust that you can hear how caring for someone should be comprehensive, and you should avail yourself to as many means of grace as you can. Bring the full arsenal of the community and context to the souls you love and you want to see change. You have the opportunity to cooperate with the Lord by providing many aspects of the Savior's care which is what I just outlined for you in those 10 things, the Savior's care to those who need to see and experience Him in practical ways. And just perhaps the Lord will be working on you too. I have a series of questions here that I would love for you to take the time to read this podcast, this article here, and you can answer these questions. I also have a link, and I do highly commend my book to you, Change Me. It is a thorough understanding of the change process, and you can get it in our store. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.